Thank you, Jago, for such a warm welcome, and um, thank you for coming tonight. It's a real pleasure to be here on this Tri-Sunday Sunday. Um, it might interest you to know that I haven't always been a Christian. I actually um, uh, grew up in, I guess, a neutral home um, and kind of began asking questions more in my uh, late teens and early 20s, particularly when I went to university to study biochemistry. And so the, the God and science question was really key, really important for me. I grilled a lot of Christians. I asked a lot of questions. Um, and I changed my views about God um, at the age of 20. Um, and so, um, you know, asking questions was very important and a really key part of my journey. And I guess the question that we're looking at tonight is arguably the biggest question of all, the most difficult question of all, one of the biggest barriers to faith. Perhaps some of you here have kept God at arm's length because of the things that you have faced in life. Perhaps some of you here uh, have decided that God couldn't possibly exist because if he did, he would never have let that thing happen. And so this is a really important and really key question. Why is there so much suffering in life? And we only have to turn on our screens for a few seconds to be inundated with stories of suffering. We hear of plane crashes, of wars, of an ongoing refugee crisis, fires in Australia, Ebola outbreaks again. In London, we're still reeling from the Grenfell Tower fire just two years ago. We hear of shootings, stabbings, racial tensions, homelessness, robbery, human trafficking, and the list goes on and on. On the subject of suffering, there is no shortage of material. Why do these things happen? And if God is real, why does he let them happen? And of course, we know that this is not just an intellectual question. Suffering affects all of us. It is the most universal of human experiences. I wonder what has been your experience. Perhaps it's chronic illness. Perhaps it's knowing someone with chronic illness. Perhaps it's grief or family breakdown or depression, insomnia. Perhaps it's feeling that life is just out of control. Perhaps it's a wrestle with sexual identity. Or perhaps it's the epidemic facing Western society today, that of loneliness, even though you are surrounded by many people. Many of us just feel isolated and lonely. We all have our stories. Our story, or one of our stories in our family, is that my husband, Conrad, fell at the age of 11 and um, banged his head on the floor and developed a, I guess, a neurological condition that has never been fully understood, that has never been fully even named. I mean, we live in a time when we're told that science and technology can answer all of our questions and solve all of our problems, but what do you do when science has nothing to say? And we live um, mostly uh, 
a normal life, I'd say about 95% of the time, we live a normal life, whatever normal is. Um, but about 5% of the time, our life descends into chaos as we try and seek treatment from alternative medicines because standard medicine does nothing. They don't even have a name for what we have. And there are no easy answers to this question of suffering. I'm not here for one minute to say that we have all of the answers. Suffering is a mystery. And the older I get, the more I am convinced of the mystery of suffering. But just because we don't have all of the answers doesn't mean we don't have anything to say. Just because we can't say everything, um, anything doesn't mean we can't say anything at all. And here is a thought. If you have ever found yourself asking why, it raises an interesting thought. To whom are you addressing the question? The late Christopher Hitchens, um, best-selling author of his book, God is Not Great, and atheist, was diagnosed with terminal cancer of the esophagus. And he was interviewed on CNN in 2011 about whether, despite his atheism, he'd ever been tempted to ask the question, why me? And he responded like this. He said, you can't avoid the question, however stoic you are. You can only bat it away as a silly one. Millions of people die every day. Everyone's got to go sometime. A response that seems pretty bleak, especially since he has now died. And yet, it is entirely consistent with his atheism. If God doesn't exist... This is just the way the world is. Accidents happen. DNA makes mistakes with 7 billion DNA carriers on the planet. It's going to go wrong sometimes, by chance alone. And people define their own morality. Morality is within you. It is whatever feels good and right. But there's no absolute. And biology drives behavior. And so the solution to getting through this world is live as best you can, fight evil with science and technology, and make the most of this life because it's the only life you get. The problem is, this approach seems to work in theory, but not in practice. It doesn't seem to help me with the grittiness of the world that I find myself in. I get angry at suffering. What do I do with the feeling of anger that comes up when I see suffering in the world and when I see loved ones hurt? Where does this come from if this is just the way the world is and we're just supposed to suck it up? The Christian faith makes sense of the rawness that you and I feel in the face of suffering because it says there is something wrong with the world. The natural world is not all that there is. We live in a world in which good and evil are at play. Good is defined by who God is. God is a being who doesn't lie, who has no darkness in him, who is utterly trustworthy, 
He is not deceitful. There's no malice. He is absolutely good. Evil is anything contrary to who God is and what he does. And just as God is personified, so evil is personified as Satan or the devil. And he has some degree of influence in the world for now. And so at first glance, it might seem that the existence of suffering gives us good reason to rule out God. But actually, you can argue that the opposite is true. It is only if God exists that our outrage at suffering finds a home. It is the existence of God that enables you to call evil, evil. And so could it be that we ask why precisely because God is real? Now here's another question. And our questions on suffering come in lots of different ways. There's not just one type of question, because here's another one. If God is so loving, why is there so much suffering? Why would a loving God allow the things of this world? This question doesn't ask whether God exists. It asks, what is he like? What kind of God are you even offering me? And many people might believe that some form of God or spiritual being exists, but they don't believe he is good. They believe that he is morally suspect. And the reasoning goes something like this. Given the suffering in our world, if God exists, then he is either not all-powerful, he's some frail old man who would dearly love to help but sadly can't, and the events of life are spiraling out of control, or he's not good. He is actually evil and picking people out for punishment like some kind of divine sniper in the sky. Or maybe it's worse than that. Maybe he has favorites. You have a a good life. You're my favorite. You have a difficult life. You're not. Or maybe it's even worse. Maybe he's lazy and has the power to do something but chooses not to like some delinquent superhero. A loving, all-powerful God would presumably create a loving world, right? Well, here's another question to help us dig into this. How is it that love is expressed? How is it? What is the context in which love is expressed? My husband Conrad won't mind me telling you. I cleared it with him first that he proposed to me three times. And the second and third proposals were quite close together in time, but the first and second were separated by some months. The significance of a marriage proposal, it's risky because the other person gets to choose whether they say yes or no. And they could say no. I mean, you like to try and, you know, wait till a time when you're relatively certain, but it's still a risk because love requires freedom. Love is patient. It doesn't force. It doesn't coerce. You see, love is expressed within the context of freedom. And at the heart of the nature of God... The Christian faith says God is love. 
and has made a world in which love is possible, in which humans have the capacity to make meaningful choices so that love can be freely chosen. But the the deal is that sometimes we choose good and sometimes we choose bad. Sometimes we use that freedom to make really good choices and sometimes we use it to make terrible choices. I know that I have. Why is this? The Christian faith says there is something beautiful but broken about people. That's the diagnosis. It's not that there are good people and evil people. It says that good and evil live in every person. The problem of evil and suffering is not simply out there. It is in here. And sometimes we make good choices and sometimes we make terrible ones. And one of the answers that we give to why there is so much suffering in the world is that some suffering, not all, but some suffering is caused by us, by our wrong choices. Perhaps you can remember times when uh, decisions that you have made have brought suffering in someone else's life. Perhaps you can also Recall times when someone else's decision-making and poor choices caused suffering in your life. The Christian faith has a big picture reason for this. It says the ultimate reason for this brokenness that you and I face every day is that humanity has chosen to live without God. In the verses that we read um, from the Bible, they were spoken by a man called Isaiah who lived around 700 BC, about 700 years before Jesus. But he's talking about the human race and then about Jesus. And he describes humanity not in a very complimentary way. He describes us as being like sheep that have gone astray, each has turned to its own way, saying, I'm not going this way, I'm going this way. I don't know if you've spent much time observing sheep, but they just follow each other into a ditch, knowing very little about the dangers ahead. Isaiah says, humanity, you're like sheep that have gone astray. You're not going God's way, you're going your own way. There's a brokenness to us all that is vertical between us and God. And that leads to a brokenness in all kinds of other things. How we relate to ourselves. How we relate to other people. How we make decisions. And maybe even also within our own very biology There's a brokenness that we are all caught up in. It is pervasive. There is no area of life that is not impacted by this. This actually is is both hard, but it's also reassuring when we think about the question, am I being punished? Because very often when we're suffering, our immediate go-to is, is God punishing me? Even The Christians, even Christians think this. Is God punishing me? We've got these phrases, things happen for a reason. And I have found that to be really hard when I'm in the middle 
of a valley because now I've got two problems. I've got the suffering I'm facing and I've got to figure out the reason that this is happening that no one else seems to learn but that I need to learn. And that can lead to another kind of suffering, an even deeper sense of isolation. Are you being punished by God, by what is happening in your life? No. There are some things that happen to us we may never understand truly why it has happened. The foundation, the foundational reason that we can can give, the only reason that we can give is that we suffer because our world is broken and everyone is affected. But it is not a lightning bolt from God to you. Quite the opposite. But here's another question. Perhaps the most important suffering question of all. Does God care about my suffering? Does he even care about what I'm going through, regardless of how he may have set up things? I don't know about you, but when I'm going through a difficult time, the people that I want to be around are those that know what it's like to go through that kind of struggle. There's a sense of solidarity in that shared experience of suffering. The whole hashtag Me Too movement centers around this idea and many other um, instances. So what about God? If God is real, can he relate to my suffering? And does he even care? Well, at the heart of the Christian faith is a God who knows what it is to suffer. You see, right at the center of Christianity is not a symbol of victory and triumph, but a symbol of um, suffering and execution and death. Jesus ended his days on earth nailed to a Roman cross. He suffered brutality at the hands of Romans. The Romans were really good at killing people and making them suffer in the process to the maximal amount. Some say that crucifixion is even the worst form of death of all history. And Jesus was subject to this. And in the lead up to that, he was also abandoned by his closest friends in his hour of deepest need. He was subjected to a miscarriage of justice. He was flogged, beaten up by a battalion of Roman soldiers and nailed to a cross and left to die a long, slow death of asphyxiation. You see, right at the heart of the Christian faith is a God who suffers, who suffered Isaiah, talking about Jesus hundreds of years beforehand, described him as uh, as someone who was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. I don't know what life has thrown at you, but God does, and he knows, he gets it. He doesn't just sympathize saying, there, there, it's okay. He really knows. And he says, come to me, talk to me, bring your suffering to me, walk with me. Because I get it. 
And I get it even when you run out of words. And sometimes that's only when you capture how profound someone's suffering really is. Words just don't do it sometimes. God says, even then, I will meet you. Will you meet with me? But Jesus hasn't just suffered like us. He has also suffered for us. You see, there's a sense in which his suffering on the cross goes way beyond anything we can imagine. You see, while he was hanging on that cross, he was carrying the weight, the full weight of the wrongs of the human race. And in doing so, experienced a greater suffering than anything we can ever imagine. Somehow on the cross, all of the world's evil was being directed at one clean target. Can you imagine? All of the world's evil in one place. That is what happened. That is what Jesus was carrying. Isaiah says, surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity, the wrongdoing of us all. He has carried something so black, so dark, we can't even imagine. And we're told that somehow this benefits us, even 2,000 years later, today. Isaiah says the punishment that brought us peace was on him. We get peace. He gets punishment. And by his wounds, we are healed. He is wounded. We get to be healed. What are these verses talking about? The Christian faith says we have all contributed to the problem of evil and suffering one way or another. We're all guilty of our contribution to this problem. And in the eyes of the world, if you're guilty, you pay. You better pay for what you've done. What goes around comes around. Jesus says something very different. He says, Are you guilty? Then I will pay for you. I will take the hit instead. I will die so that you can live. I will take all of your guilt and all of your shame and all of your regrets and all the things you wish had never happened, the the things you wish you could turn the clock back. He said, I've taken it. You don't have to spend your life paying now because I have paid for you. I have died so that you can know forgiveness and new life and comfort and strength and hope and friendship with me. If you turn to me, there is forgiveness for the past. There is comfort and strength you never knew was possible and there is hope to walk another day. You see, Jesus has absorbed the evil 
of history, the evil of humanity, so that if we turn to him, the suffering that we have brought to others and the suffering that has been done to us need not absorb us. Evil does not have to have the last word in your life. And this is why Jesus died. He loves you. And if you were the only person on earth, he would still have done it because you're that precious to him. The amazing thing is he didn't stay dead. He took all of that to the grave and left it there and went through death and out the other side because Jesus is God and God is indestructible life. And he is alive today by the Holy Spirit. Christians do not believe that God is dead. He's alive. And that's why there's even a church to try this Sunday. He is alive and well and wants to walk with us in the things that we face, good and bad. He has not left us, you, me, alone in our suffering. He says, turn to me. I will show you extraordinary things that you never thought were possible in your life. Doesn't mean it all goes away. Sometimes it may even get worse. But there is strength. And there is love. And there is meaning. And there is significance. And the amazing thing is that he did all of this without destroying your freedom, my freedom. You see... Jesus has died. He has defeated evil. He has taken the wind out of its sails. But you are free, utterly free to say, yes, please, I want to live in the light of that. Or no, thank you. And we absolutely respect what decision you make. Your freedom is upheld. Do you see how beautiful this is? We don't always have answers to the things that we face. We may never have answers to some of the things that we face. Jesus always offers us himself. He always offers us relationship, even when answers don't come. He says, you can go through this without me or with me. What will you choose? The amazing thing is that suffering will end one day. It has been defeated on that first Easter and one day it will be removed entirely. One of the questions that Christians sometimes ask or that um, non-Christians sometimes ask is if God is real, why doesn't he get rid of evil once and for all? The Christian faith says he will. How do you fix a broken story? Some of our stories are so broken. Atheism says you can't fix them. You just live as best you can and fight evil as best you can. 
Some Eastern religions say you can't fix them, but if you suffer in this life, it's somehow related to karma from a previous life and you need to work it off in order for the, the, the following life to be better. The Christian faith says you fix a broken story by embedding it in a much bigger story in which good wins, in which suffering and evil loses where there will be justice. This is not the end of the story. One day there will be no more crying or sorrow or pain or death. And it says that God will do something extraordinary. It says that he will wipe every tear from our eyes. A really interesting picture of the tenderness of God towards hurting people. But the reason that that day hasn't arrived is to give us time to get our choices right, particularly in regard to who God is and whether we want to follow him or not. God asks us today, how do you want to use your freedom? And for some of you listening, well, we probably are in all kinds of different stages of our journey in the room. Some of you may feel like this is the first time you're hearing something like this. And it's interesting, but uh, right now it's not for you. And we respect your decision. We respect that. But do encourage you to, you know, find Christians. Ask them your questions. I grilled a lot of Christians. And I think that it's really important to do that. And some of you might be listening and thinking, yeah, this is raising more questions for me. And, you know, I'll hang around after the service. For I know you're going to the pub and I don't want to um, hinder that. But while you're getting ready to go, I'm really happy to, you know, talk some more. You might also want to try Alpha starting this week. There may be some of you in the room for whom the invitation to know God in your suffering is a bright light in a very dark situation. Jesus says, come to me. And if that is you, you could pray any kind of prayer, but you could pray something like this one. You could say, Jesus, if you're real, I want to know you. I'm sorry for living my own way. Please Forgive me. Thank you for dying for me. Please come into my life. Please be real to me in the suffering that I face. Amen. There's no cookie-cutter way of, of talking to God and inviting him to come and walk with you and be friends with you. But if you... Um, would like to start a journey with God, I'm going to pray that prayer again and I invite you to pray it with me. If it's not for you, then just bear with us and let the words wash over you. But for those of you that would like to pray, I'm going to pray now. So why don't we pray? Jesus, if you are real, I want to know you. I'm sorry for living my own way. Please forgive me. 
Thank you for dying for me. Please come into my life. Please be real to me in the suffering that I face. Amen. And Lord, I pray that you would bless and comfort and strengthen everyone in this room. In Jesus' name, amen.